and left yourself in Make good on a promise Never heard again If you lost and loaded You're broken down Bring all of your trouble Come down, down Hey guys, and welcome to Kaisis a podcast about living our new life in the New Covenant Age. Our podcast name comes from two Greek words, kaine kitesis, which mean new creation. I'm your co-host, Osvaldo Valdez, and let me welcome Pastor Todd Bordeaux. All right, it's good to be back. Osvaldo, how you doing? What a beautiful day, huh? Yeah, weather has really picked up since... Like the rainy and the cold, now it's actually nice and shiny outside. Yeah, 72, sunny, and not even that humid. Can't yeah. beat that, huh? No, I can't beat it. How'd you enjoy your spring break? Pretty good. Just relaxed, did homework, catched up on readings. I was gifted, oh, Megan gifted me uh, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. I've actually never mm. read it before, so I was able to read it over the break, which is an excellent read. It was really, really good. Yeah, it's really good stuff, isn't it? Yeah, and just relaxed overall. Good. All right. We are in Matthew 6, the first 18 verses today. So we're not going to read all those in advance, but we'll work our way through them. This is probably the largest section we've tried to do in one podcast, but we're just going to summarize the points. And what we've seen so far is that the kingdom Christ came to bring is is certainly a God-centered religion from the heart. Uh, The gospel reconciles us with God so that we now are forgiven, we love, serve, and live for him, please him. And so in this section of the sermon, the Lord is dealing with motivations of the heart, why we serve him, why we obey him. And in verses 1 through 18, the Lord contrasts true religion, true relationship with God, with the Pharisees' religion, who did not know God. They used religion for their own attention, for praise. and But when it comes to Christian living, we see that the why is just as important to God as the what. And so notice verse 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. And so we think how Phariseeism continues today where people use Christianity. They use religion for earthly selfish purposes. Some attend church because uh, a boyfriend or a girlfriend attends. That's their only reason. Or a husband or wife. Or they're networking for their business. Some are religious to try to impress God. They want his blessing on things. Some like Christianity because it gives them an opportunity to show off their knowledge. No. You don't have to go to school to become a doctor to be able to talk medicine, but you know you can get online and, and be a religious expert immediately. Uh, some like what they think is the power and authority that religion gives them. Authority over others, uh, power. All these things, the Pharisees, they used religion. But that's not what the kingdom of Christ is about. And so the Lord is introducing the motivations of the heart in even living the Christian life. Any comment before we look at the specific examples? 
Yeah, something that I found really helpful um, that you've mentioned in the past is to understand the kingdom as a as a window of heaven or as a taste of heaven. And and and, and I know that you've used that um, in the beginning when we just started all this together because when we when we look at it at that light, it almost sounds uh, frankly kind of ridiculous to think that in heaven we're going to be competing with one another, whether it be with knowledge or resources or or numbers of any of that sort, or that. In heaven, there'll be some sort of ulterior motives. We'll try to benefit um, for our own personal gain using other people. All this sounds ridiculous, right? If we think of heaven that way. And I think that we should think of church and community in, in a similar way, in that heaven is becoming a reality here on earth through Christ and his spirit. And I think that, that's, that, that was a really good picture. Yeah, that's such a great point that Jesus calls the kingdom the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. And so heaven, in a sense, has begun already. And so our ethics are heavenly ethics. So, and of course, our motivations in heaven would always be for God and not, as you said, to show off. Yeah. Now, the Lord gives three examples of how hypocrites perform religious works only to impress others. And the three examples are giving, praying, and fasting. And these basically represent all Christian duties. But these are three examples. Verse two is giving. Do not give to the needy, blowing a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets. The religious leaders of Israel wanted everyone to know how much they gave. So the Lord says, in my kingdom, when you give to others, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Which is a very figurative way of saying you don't need to tell anybody. Give in secret, and your father who sees you in secret will reward you. So it's enough that your father in heaven is watching and you're pleasing him. There's that God-centered relationship that what matters to us is pleasing our father. Um, Prayer, verse 6. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites who love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners to be seen by others. And so the Pharisees would pray loud prayers in public so people would know how holy they were. Hmm. But it's interesting in verse 7, Jesus adds, not only are you not to use prayers to impress others, he even warns you not to use prayers to impress God. Hmm. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Uh, the pagans would recite long prayers to ensure that the gods would hear them. And Jesus warns you, in my kingdom, you're not to approach God this way. So this verse warns against the Roman Catholic practice of repeating many prayers over and over so that God will forgive you. But Protestants can fall into this trap too, can't they? Mm -hmm. You know, we often hear about certain Christian leaders are praised because they spent so long amount of time in prayer. He prayed two hours a day. So the assumption is that God will regard your prayer if you pray a long time versus if you pray 10 or 15 minutes a day. That's the same thing the Lord is warning you. Do not try to impress God with the length or the amount of words. We don't have a relationship with God that needs us to impress him. And so he warns us on that. So it's easy even to use prayer to feel good about ourselves with God or others. Any comment on that? Yeah, I have two things to say. And and one of them being is that 
I don't know about you, Pastor, but you can always tell when someone is trying a little bit too hard in their prayer. It sounds so ungenuine, mechanic, or like they don't they don't even use words that like people don't really understand. And it's almost like slightly cringe. And 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 sometimes they do it, you know, like you said, to to show off, to show off how much theology they know. And I never forget early in our internship when when um, when you were kind of we were kind of going over what it what it means or how to do a congregational prayer. You made a comment that made me laugh, and I never forgot to say you told me God already knows theology. You don't need to retell him your the- theology. You know, there's no need to regurgitate uh, these principles when it really does people no benefit. You know, you're not bringing pleas, a genuine plea before God. You're just being a show off. And it's interesting because, at least in my experiences, the people that play the simplest are usually the most powerful prayers. And what I mean by powerful prayer is that they capture, you know, the genuine plea of the people and they bring it with a humble heart before God. Um, so that, that's one, you know. Um, the second thing I wanted I wanted to mention is that you, you mentioned it in saying that pagans had these long prayers. And it was almost the custom and I guess some background necessary you know, pagan gods were, were, were almost like humans. They were flawed people. They were given to passions, distracted. So you had to get their attention. And, and, and so you did these, like these long prayers, repetitive prayers, these, these sacrifice, whatever, right? You, you put on a show to capture the attention of the gods and the repetition of that will, will, will ensure that you get an audience. And unfortunately, pastor, I don't know about you or maybe you've heard about this, but that's that's almost picking up in a very subtle way. Um, the uh, declare movement, you know, you just got to declare. You got to just keep or another word they use is you got to manifest certain things in your life, kind of new age practices where um, a certain positive attitude and a repetition of, you know, just vision envisioning whatever you want. You're going to get it as if that somehow gets God's attention, as if that somehow manipulates God in such a way to manifest quote unquote what you want so this is becoming more and more relevant as these ancient practices are in many ways making a comeback yeah that's a good point now we'll come back to prayer in a moment um and and what did you call it by the way the claim it how did you say it name it and claim it or declare it declare it okay and there's an uh there's another neo new age Christian movement where it's all about like Christian manifesting. You say something and you manifest it into reality. So you have to say it over and over till it's... Yeah, it's kind of like the power of positive thinking kind of right. on that line. Yeah. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah. So we'll come back to prayer in a moment because it's a long section. But the third one is fasting, verse 16. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites for they disfigure their faces that others may see their fasting. And so they would purposely want attention for their fast. And, and the, Jewish, uh, the Jewish leaders fasted twice a week uh, throughout the year. And so they wanted everyone to know the day they fasted to show how spiritual they were. <laughs> so the Lord says, if you're going to do that, do not do it for others to notice you. Um, but do it for the Lord. Again, it's the Father who... It sees you in secret, and it's enough that he knows. The point is that God has saved us to be in a relationship with him where he is what is really important. He is the one we serve and answer to, not showing off to others, because 
God does not like show-offs. Mm-hmm. Now, nobody, nobody likes a show-off, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, almost in a- any area of life, when somebody is bragging about himself or herself, you kind of roll your eyes. Nobody likes a show-off. So it's especially unbecoming in true religion. And so there's always a temptation for Christians, for all of us, to show off our religion. Uh, can you think of other ways that we can be tempted to be show offy? Um, uh, we used to have these prayer meetings at another church, not Cornerstone, um, on on Saturday, either Wednesday nights, Friday nights. Oh, you know what? Let me just focus on one prayer time. Friday, once a month, they had something called uh, in Spanish "vigilia" uh, to be vigilant. So it was a uh, it was a whole prayer service from like seven or eight all the way to like like twelve midnight. Point is, like it, it was so informal that at some point it was like a lot of it was improvised. If if you wanted to sh- um, to teach, you could teach. If you wanted to sing, sing. If you wanted to pray, go pray. And the prayer stuff often often evolved from like, I need something to like, oh, pray for all that I am doing for the Lord. And they will start bringing up these stories that began as like, okay, oh, wow, you're, you're giving a testimony on evangelism. And it, and it kind of evolved to kind of a self-congratulatory thing where like, oh, look, look what I'm doing at work. What are y'all doing? You know, look, look, look how much I'm doing for, anyways, those opportunities often took a, a completely different turn and, and you had an audience for it. So people really <laughs> like to participate in that just so they can exactly show off. Um, okay, go ahead. I was going to say, uh, you just finished Mere Christianity. Do you remember that section where Lewis talks about the good pride and the bad pride? Uh, re- remind me of that? I'm blanking well, out. He says, he says, you know, there's two kinds of pride in the church. One is the good pride. It's still wrong but at least they want attention for doing things for the Lord. <laughs> yeah. And then there's the yeah. bad pride, which doesn't care about anybody. Yeah, anyone but yourself. Yeah. Anyone but yourself. He says, if you're dealing with the good pride, if people are serving the Lord, but they do want a little pat on the back once in a while, he says, you know, the good pride's livable. <laughs> that's funny yeah. that, you know, and, and, you know, that's true as long as they're, you know, they're trying to, and sometimes they need some recognition, but, the bad pride is worse. Yeah, and it's interesting, Pastor, because a lot of these things begin with genuine, right? Like whatever it be, whether it be fasting, whether it be prayer, evangelism, or just genuine serving. It becomes it, sometimes it begins with gen, a genuine desire to do these things, but then it evolves, right? Because we have a, just a, a tendency to seek social validation. And the way I summarize it personally is that we want to take credit for God's work in us, yeah. right? And we want to present ourselves as if this is the product of my own will, of just my own discipline and hard work, where Christianity and the gospel is the other way around. It is God's work in you. So we really have really no grounds to show off anything. Because if it's really you, it's just we're garbage. You know, we're broken people. Um, but God renews us and makes us new. That's that's why we are who we are as Christians, not, not, not any other reason. Yeah, exactly. Well, each of these examples that the Lord gives comes with repeated warnings. And the warning is, if you live this way, there's no reward for you in heaven. In other words, if you're using religion to get attention, praise, power, etc., you're not a true believer. Because 
true Christianity, as we've seen in the Sermon on the Mount, changes the heart. So if you're only doing it for others, you're not really doing it for God. And this brings up the crisis of narcissism in the church, which is people using religion as a means to either control, have authority. Uh, maybe they're interested in politics. They think they can use religion to get their politics. Mm-hmm. Or they're only trying to impress another person, a possible boyfriend, a girlfriend, etc. Um, but that's not the gospel. Jesus calls us to believe in him, but come and die. Come and lose your life for my sake. Come and serve. You can't do these things if you're living for the attention and praise of others. So one is a false Christianity. One finds their life in Christ himself. And so in Christianity, God himself is our reward. When we speak of reward in heaven, we shouldn't think of things, you know, gold or anything like that. God is waiting for us. And so God who saved us and loves us is our proper motivation. And I want you to note in this passage, the key is that God is now our father. So let me just read you a few verses from this passage. Verse 1. The reward is from your Father in heaven. Verse 4, your Father who sees what is done in secret. Verse 6, your Father who sees what is done in secret. Verse 8, your Father who knows what you need before you ask him. Verse 9, our Father who out in heaven. Verse 14, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Verse 15, your Father will not forgive your sins. Do you see a theme here? Mm-hmm. And so what's important is that no one in the Old Testament ever called God Father. The word Father is never spoken of God by a human being throughout the entire Old Testament. As a matter of fact, that was considered blasphemous that you would think of God so personally. But through the work of Christ, we've been adopted into God's family, reconciled with him. So now he is our Father. So it's that personal relationship, that personal religion between us and God. And so now that's what's so amazing about the Sermon on the Mount, that God is almost always addressed as Father. We're used to that after 2,000 years, but the Jews would not have been used to hearing God referred to as Father. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's interesting because Paul actually takes... It's interesting. Um, I guess as a side note, people kind of always some some people some scholars criticize Paul for um, for the lack of gospel elements, you know, in his letters. But I think this is such an interesting theme. I think I think you emphasize it very well. Jesus is bring it is bringing to the forefront of of the of his audience that his kingdom introduces more than just some impersonal king towards his people, but like you said, a completely new relationship between man men and women and god where we're not just creatures but we're we're children right where there's a a familial relationship and it's interesting because jesus um makes the point that because you know you're you now exist in 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 a son and daughter relationship with with your heavenly father that is now 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 this new reality has this complete and holistic, complete impact in the way you live. 
and I think that's you know much of it is, is you could say that this is even the grounds by which um, all the ethics right of, of the new kingdom come forth and Paul does exactly that draws on those same points that like since you are now children we we now live in a completely uh, different matter and I think that's 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 the beauty you know of of, of, of what you've highlighted yeah it's really because Christ has washed away our sins now we know God is our Father. He loves us. He hears us. He protects us. He's bringing us to himself. Because of that, the Lord says, when you pray, pray privately. Go into your closet and pray. No one else needs to know because you have a Father that hears all your prayers. And all it takes is one prayer from one Christian. Notice how there's no sort of pecking order of importance that God hears certain people more, uh, pastors or those, what we, what we often say are on the front lines, whatever that means. Hmm. But all God's people have been adopted who believe in Christ into the family. And so you have a father that is very interested in your prayers, in your heart. And so it's that truth, as you said, that reality that drives our prayers. And on a side note, nobody should be forced to pray publicly if they're not comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Notice how the emphasis here is on private prayers that no one else has to know. And so sometimes in churches, Christians are sort of uh, pushed or shamed even for not opening in prayer, closing in prayer, leading in prayer. But that's a very private thing. It's personal. Some, some can do it easily. Others are not. But no one should be forced or feel shamed for keeping their prayers private. But the point is, as Christians, the reason we do these things is the gospel. Through the work of Christ, God has become our Father. Now, those are the three examples, you know, prayer, giving, and fasting. Can you think of any other experience you've had with religious showing off that maybe is not one of these three examples? Um, yeah. <laughs> so... I think I've mentioned this example before, but I think it fits well today is, I guess in general, often the people that present themselves as the most spiritual are often, you know, the most toxic people. And I remember once again, in in, in one of the churches that we used to go to, um, uh, uh, a deacon and his wife, you know, this kind of like power couple essentially held a lot of uh, power in the church. I mean, they would always draw allegedly on their own spiritual gifts. At least the deacon would draw on the fact that he he will always talk about his own like theological knowledge, kind of his training and his readings and uh, always talk about that. And looking back, it was like, yeah, he didn't really know that much, in my opinion. And obviously they didn't apply very well. Um, and his wife would always kind of boast on that God gave her the gift of singing. And <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> by the way, but she kind of used it manipulatively. Like since if, if God gave it to me, you can't take me down from the stage because we, th- there was a huge issue where they try to remove her and she used her own. She was boasting of the, of, uh, of her alleged gift. And on that basis, since God gave it to her, no one can take her down. And it's very unfortunate, right? Like it's just an example, right? When it comes to like theological knowledge or, or teaching, you know, that is a gift, but if you use it to just kind of, exalt yourself, kind of puff yourself up more. Um, it, it honestly reveals, you know, kind of the spiritual corruption. Um, 
that that kind of underlies that. Unfortunately, they I later found out that they ended up separating and divorcing and very and leaving the church um, altogether and very unfortunate thing, but kind of an example, right, of how uh, pride often hides a lot of spiritual corruption that underlies it. Yeah, you know, I was just reading in Romans where, you know, Paul talks about to, to beware um, of the false teachers who may come and their interests are not in the Lord Jesus Christ, but in their own appetites. In other words, in their own praise. They want a following. No. And those are often hard, like hard to write initially, at least to, to identify, because I mean, these people are, they're pretty confident. And if they have any knowledge, yeah, sure. They could have like really good knowledge. And it's often, unfortunately for a lot of people, it's often too late, you know, when the damage is already done, where they find out, oh, it was all just a big narcissistic move, you know, trying to get a movement, trying to get praise from this and hurting people along the way. Yeah. Or money, follow oh, the money. Oh, right? yeah if not praise. Okay, so we're going to do something odd. We're going to close with talking about the Lord's Prayer, which normally would take two or three episodes, but we're just going to summarize it. But what I want to bring out is the fact that the Lord's Prayer comes in the context of everything we've just talked about. And so he, told, he said how the Pharisees prayed, and then instead when you pray. So the Lord's Prayer doesn't come sort of out of nowhere but it comes in the context of not living a life showing off to others. And so what does a genuine prayer look like? How, how would we pray versus the Pharisees? That's the point Jesus is making. And so just a few points. We have the gospel at the start, our Father. So even addressing God as Father brings in the work of Christ and reconciling us to him. But notice also the brevity of the prayer. This is a very quick prayer, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And so this is only example. Jesus never once repeats this prayer in all his prayers. So obviously, he, he's giving only an example. But but we see in the example, it's very easy to pray to God. Yeah. Um, because this is so easy. We don't even have to go through a long process of approaching him. Our Father. We're reminded he's in heaven, and then we begin. So God does not require long introductions, the exact proper words. But there is reverence in the prayer. Hallowed be thy name. May thy name be glorified. But I want you to notice the community. Um, everything here is in the third person, singular or plural, we or us. Uh, give us this day our daily bread. Um, you know, forgive us our debts. So there's this idea that it's not only me, which was what the narcissists think, right? Life is all about me. But we're in a community and we care for others. And so we pray in the context of the greater church. Deliver us, lead us, give us. And so compared to the hypocrite, it's a very different view of the Christian life. And even when we pray, thy kingdom come, what are we praying for? God's kingdom right now is the kingdom of grace. We're praying for people to come to know the Lord and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Thy kingdom come as it has come into me. Mm -hmm. So it's this care for others that you didn't see in the Pharisees. When they prayed, thy kingdom come, mm 
they meant wipe out all the Romans and uh, give us earthly blessings. Mm-hmm. They weren't, weren't caring about people knowing the Lord in that sense and being forgiven. So you compare the Lord's Prayer to the hypocrite and you can see the context. Thy kingdom come versus religion is all about me. It's all about my politics. It's all about defeating my enemies. Uh, forgive us our sins versus, well, I'm better than others. They may need forgiveness, but I'm fine. Uh, lead us not into temptation. That's admitting our spiritual weakness, that we're as weak as anyone else. Lead us. The Pharisees, the hypocrites, the narcissists, they don't think they are sinners that need help. Others need help, but not me, because I'm above them. No. But Jesus says, the true prayer, lead us not into temptation. I am as weak as everyone else. And then again, the community. I am not more special than others like the Pharisees thought. We all need each other. So the Lord's Prayer has a particular glory about it in light of the context of comparing it to the way the user, the narcissist, the Pharisee prays. Any thoughts on this prayer in context? Yeah, it's interesting because the, the Pharisees and all these, um, we've talked about this before, and all these other uh, Jewish sects, um, sect as in S-E-C-T, um, they, they were all answering the question, you know, what, one, how, how is it that we return to God? And two, they were trying to conform to kingdom living. So maybe, at least initially, the, the, the Pharisee attempt was, you know, let me conform more closely to God's law. And the irony of it all, right, is that in, in trying to, in, in endeavoring to do that, they, they completely went the other way. They, 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 they strayed even farther from God in their endeavor to seek him. And it is interesting because Christ, and it's beautiful here, like you said, because Christ is answering that question that everyone's asking. How is it that we return to God? And two, how is it that we live in, in a kingdom reality? And Jesus is saying, well, in my person, right, we, we, we are able to return back to God and belong in this kingdom and live in this kingdom. Like you said, at first we begin with God being your father. And, and how does that happen? Well, in context, right, it happens through Christ's redemptive works. And how does that look like? How does that life look like? And like you said, it, it answers, it's answered by, um, by everything that you just said. This is how we live in kingdom living. In other words, I think it, like not only is this like a, a, a teaching moment for the Christian church, I think it also serves as an apologetic in contrast to um, the kingdom expectations and kingdom living from Pharisees and other religious groups. Jesus is establishing his own authoritative answer to the, to, to the overall question. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Osvaldo, I give you a lot of latitude to say what you want on this podcast, but I won't allow you to speak on Jewish sex. On Jewish sex. <laughs> that, that is forbidden. All right, I'm just joking. <laughs> no. All right. Uh, our closing thought, I just want to add at the end here, verses uh, 14 and 15. Um, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Remember, that's in the context of comparing to the, the fraud. And so the idea is if you've been forgiven, then you will forgive others. He's not saying that you'll be saved if you forgive others. He's saying your salvation is evidenced by forgiving others. 
And if you call God your father, but you don't ever forgive others who ask, then you are not truly a believer. And therefore, you won't experience that forgiveness um, at all. And so it's sort of looking from evidence to cause here. But the summary of this is Christ is brought in in the kingdom of heaven where we are united to God in a very personal relationship with a father. And what he thinks matters the most. And it's, it's not a religion of, uh, it's not an outward religion of showing off or so worried what others will think of us. But, but we please the Lord who saved us. And that's our prime motivation. Mm -hmm. So we don't use God or religion. And if we do find ourselves doing that, which we can all fall into that, we obviously confess it. Um, but calling God our Father is the great privilege of the new covenant. Him being our Father and our greatest reward. And that drives um, all we do. And so we live without getting praise from others. We know if God knows, you know, even if you're accused of something falsely often, you can just say, well, God knows. And that has to be enough. Or, you know, whatever it is, sometimes my Father in heaven knows that can give great comfort. Um, but any no. final thoughts on this God-centered relationship that we have in Christ? Yeah, it's it's really wonderful and interesting and glorious to see how the conquering that's happening here is very different from the conquering that we know of. Rome could can conquer externally, right, and subjugate people to live a form of type of way and tax them. But Jesus's kingdom is capturing the hearts and minds of men such that their whole life is transformed, not only externally, but internally, like you said, where people go from being, you know, haters of God to lovers of God, where God becomes someone who used to be so far away to now being your father. And all this is happening because of Jesus, his person, his ministry. He's conquering hearts, minds, and the bodies of men in a way that no other kingdom can. And that's like every, all, all that we've been talking about thus far is Jesus is doing exactly that. Heart that is conquered such that it now lives a, a different way. And that's that's a glory, you know, of, of, of God's kingdom. Well, that's a great summary, the way you just said that. Appreciate that. And let's stop there, and then we'll pick up um, in verse uh, 19 uh, next week, Lord willing. Thanks for joining us. Oh, you rich and the high above All and all you burning, broken down, all of your trouble, come lay them down, come lay them 